find something that you're interested in that you do better than the others and then continue to exploit that for as long as you possibly can and always be looking to modify that as the times change. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. Every once in a while, there comes a service that revolutionizes an industry. And I am proud to say that our best ever sponsor, Cozy, is that service for landlords and tenants. Cozy simplifies the rental process for everyone. Simply put, Cozy makes it easy to collect rent online, to screen tenants, to order credit reports, to do all the things that you are currently doing manually, but to automate it so that you can focus on more important things like growing your portfolio this year. The best part is that Cozy is completely free. It's free. There aren't any minimums, there aren't any transaction fees or monthly payments. No other service on the planet offers this to you for free. And one of the things that I love about Cozy is that Cozy automatically collects and transfers the rent so that every month you don't have to worry about forgetful tenants forgetting to pay you the rent. You can actually receive that rent automatically in your bank account, no questions asked. So you can say goodbye to paper checks, late payments, and all those lame excuses. And here's your chance to simplify your life and make more money. Join me and sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Nick Jacogan. Hi, Nick. Hi, Joe. Happy to have Nick on the show. He is the president and CEO of Signature Group, which is based in New York City. He has over 25 years of experience in real estate, and it all started with his first purchase of an apartment building in Philadelphia. He has since purchased or had more than 1,000 separate equity, debt, or corporate acquisitions with a deal value in excess of over $1 billion. And most interestingly, he can run farther than probably most of, at least me, and perhaps most of the best ever listeners, and I'll let him talk about his interesting fact. And Nick, I think you know what I'm alluding to. (laughs) So with that being said, Nick, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Well, great, Joe. Thanks for that intro. You know, to, to further explain what you're alluding to, I do run really long distances. It's kind of my, uh, you know, my hobby, or it's what gets me, you know, kind of out of the office and gives me time to, you know, to focus on bigger things. My last race actually was across the Grand Canyon and, and back in the middle of August. So I like to do, uh, you know, crazy things to keep myself engaged. How many miles is an ultra marathon? So I guess the definition of an ultramarathon is anything over a marathon, although others use 50 or 100 miles to kind of define what a real marathon is. So I've run both 50s and 100 miles at a time. So with your background, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about how you got to this point and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I started Signature Group when I was in college. My first deal was a small walk-up apartment building in Philadelphia. Subsequent to that, I came up with essentially a business model 
of using very young acquisitions group, typically hired people either in college or just out, just out of college. I would give them literally a one-way ticket to some city across the United States and tell them to go buy apartment buildings for us. We had a very methodical process of essentially making an offer to buy every single apartment building in a geographic area that we were, we were focused on. And over about a 10-year time period, we bought about 500 separate deals and almost 5,000 apartment units that way. Nowadays, much of our focus is actually in, in two areas. One is it's growing an apartment REIT, which will have a, a considerable number of, of apartments, again, on a national basis, like uh, our early days. And then the other focus is on distressed assets. We buy distressed assets from banks all over the United States and actually just entered Europe under that same business model. Let's go back in time to when you were first starting the company and you're hiring, as you mentioned, you know, a young acquisitions group and they're moving to the area, one-way ticket. How did you get the financing for the very first couple properties? The very first property while I was in college, I literally went and applied for every credit card I could possibly get. And back in those days, I, I remember when I was you know, a kid on, on the college campus, the credit card companies used to come to the campus. They used to have these sign-up opportunities to sign up for a credit card, and they used to give you packs of M&Ms if you uh, signed up for credit cards. So I signed up <laughs> for a whole bunch of those credit cards, and that was essentially my uh, down payment money. I drew down those credit cards to buy that first building. So you use credit cards to buy the first building, and then you saw that the model made a whole lot of sense as you were running it. From that point to the scaling it out to the business model to multiple markets, how did you acquire the funding for that portion of it when you scaled the business? So my business model, I think, is somewhat unique in that we were a predominantly or almost all uh, debt-financed company, as opposed to many others that you know seek equity partners. I actually didn't bring in equity partners until very late in the game and still have very few equity partners in comparison to your typical real estate group. Our business model essentially required us to have a high enough margin on each of our acquisitions that we could go in and turn around the property, clean up the property, refinance the property as quickly as possible. And I'm referring back to the very early days where we would go in very quickly, clean up the, the property, refinance the property, and essentially the, the proceeds from the refinance would be used to buy the next property. So we literally, over about a 10-year time period, did that about 500 times over, and that's how the portfolio grew. Did you have debt financing partners at the time? Was that traditional lenders or that private lenders? All traditional lenders, 100% traditional lenders at that point, no outside investors. So how were you able to get approved for traditional loan um, right out of the gate at the beginning? So I remember the very first deal, I, I went in for the financing. I sat down with, with the banker. I literally had to bring with me my college transcript to show him how well I was doing in school so <laughs> that he felt comfortable that I was going to graduate and be able to get a job and if something happened, be able to pay the mortgage. So, so how come your model has changed from 
finding the property, debt financing, refinancing it, using the equity to buy the next property. Have you shifted from that model to something else? So my model is all about finding a very inefficient market with a high profit margin. So when I first started buying apartment buildings back in the 90s, there was an opportunity to do that. So there was an opportunity to make a high profit margin and it was a very inefficient market. Finding the property owners was very difficult at that time. We didn't have a lot of the computer systems that we now have, you know, make gaining access to the information uh, very easy. We also didn't have a lot of brokers that were very focused on the market that we were on, which was probably sub million dollar type transactions. So we had a high profit margin business and we had a lot of inefficiencies, a tremendous amount of inefficiencies. So my my business model purely revolved around finding a way to bring a lot of efficiencies to that so that we could scale the business. And that's how we were able to do 500 separate transactions over that roughly that 10 year time period. So my business model worked well from the mid 90s, you know, 1995 all the way through to about 2005. 2005, the model actually kind of stopped working on the acquisition side, mainly because a lot of efficiencies had been brought to the market, especially because of the the internet. Literally, sort of the internet kind of put that model out of business. And then with the efficiencies came a decrease in in the profit margin. So we quite frankly just couldn't make enough money doing what we had been doing for that prior 10 year time period. So that's why we've moved our business model into one of more uh, distressed asset buying across the US and and also into Europe because we see those opportunities as being inefficient marketplaces with higher profit margins. What's the best way to identify a distressed asset in the markets that you're in right now? I don't focus as much on the assets as I focus on the story of the seller. And that's what I have done throughout my real estate career. When one of my acquisitions partners would come to me with a, with a deal, I wanted to know the story as to why the seller was selling. I didn't want to know about the building itself. I think that still remains the story as we buy distressed assets across the United States. Is a bank selling this because they need to clean up their balance sheet? Are they willing to take a lower price than might be market if they held it for a couple of years because that kind of plays into our opportunity to, to make a profit. Based on your tremendous experience in real estate, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say that my best advice, and I think this could go even for just business in, in general, is find something that you are good at or better at than the competition. Find your competitive advantage. And I think that is really key to a business model is find something that you're interested in that you do better than the others, and then continue to exploit that for as long as you possibly can. And always be looking to modify that as the times change. But I, I think that's really key in real estate or, or, or any business. And I think my business model of working on the, you know, on the buy side, on the acquisition side, and having so much focus on finding that inefficient market and then scaling in, into it has been really key to our profitability. That's what we've very much focused on doing. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am ready. 
Best Ever listeners, it's 2015, and wouldn't you like to simplify the landlording process and automate it as much as possible while making more money along the way? It's a landlord's dream, right? With online rent payments, applications, and secure credit reports, Cozy makes being a landlord incredibly easy. And best of all, it's completely free. Sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. Okay, Nick, best ever book you've read? So I would go with Blue Ocean Strategies. I think it's been seminal in the way that I run both my business and my life, which is all about finding something that differentiates you or your company. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Okay, Nick, best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. So I would probably have to say the 2008-2009 recession and how it impacted me and my business. We lost a considerable amount of money during that time period. And I think what it taught me is that you can never get complacent in your business and you always have to be focused on what could happen next. Learned a tremendous amount from that and it will make both me personally and my company uh, much better because of that situation. If you were able to take that learning experience and still keep it, but then also go back and make one update to what you're doing then, what would that update be? So in 2007, I had 20 people in a room trying to buy apartment buildings. They were making phone calls all over the United States and we weren't doing deals. We were diligent enough in our focus and running the numbers not to buy deals that we didn't feel comfortable with. The problem was we were still focused and trying to to do deals. What I should have done in 2007 is taken every one of those acquisitions associates, crossed out acquisitions and put dispositions on their business cards. I would have made at least $100 million by making that, uh, that decision. Best ever success habit you practice? Every morning before I will walk into my office, I stop at the local coffee shop. I First, I meditate, and then second, I take about 15 minutes, and I write down my game plan for the day. I focus on six key areas of either my life or my business that I want to make sure something happens in that day. I write it down on a piece of paper, and then I schedule it in into my calendar. Then I go into the office. Real quick, if we can, I'd like to go back to the cross out from acquisition and then, you know, have those 20 people actually sell the properties. How would you identify now that type of market cycle so that you know when to cross out acquisition and have your team members sell the properties that you currently control? It's tough. No one has a magic ball. No one knows where the market is going. You can you can look at some indicators, though, and see when the market has increased substantially and has made its, you know, it's made its recovery or has started to get bubble-like again. I, and, I, and I know that there are some indications out there that some markets now here in the United States are kind of back to those levels that they were in, in 2007. So you've, you've got to pay attention. I think the key is just you know, not getting complacent and always looking for those indicators. What's one specific indicator that you look for? I think the best indicators for us is how many deals we can't buy, meaning that we've made a lot of offers and we keep getting told no because the end, those properties are sold for significantly higher prices because if we're holding in our portfolio similar assets or if we're not able to 
buy them at the, the price that we would like to, or we're seeing significantly higher execution on the sale side, then it's probably time to go into that room again and start the sales process. What's the best ever deal you've done? I guess my answer to that would be the next one. I am very focused on the opportunity we have it at hand and getting it to the closing table. And I don't get emotionally connected to the deals I've done in the past. Best ever quote. I would say it's the one that I have on the back of my business card right now. It's a Michael Jordan quote. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. And it's something I think that I uh, try to live in my days by. And we talked about what you would change during 2008. So, But I'll ask you this question. And if it's the same, then it's the same. If not, then love to hear it. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be the same. Just not being a seller when it was you know, time to be a seller. Nick, what's the best ever place to reach you? I used to answer that question by email, although I'm starting to use Twitter a lot more, more often. So I would say either email or Twitter. Okay. And what's the email and Twitter handle? So the uh, email address is Jacogan, spelled J-E-K-O-G-I-A-N, at signaturegrp.com. And my Twitter handle is Jacogan, again, spelled J-E-K-O-G-I-A-N. And best ever listeners, special treat for you. Actually, just tweet at me, at Joe Fairless, and mention your favorite quote from today's episode, and you'll actually receive a free copy. The first five people will receive a free copy of Nick's book called Your Turn. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Nick. It is just incredibly helpful to hear your story from you know, going as a college student, showing your resume to get approved with credit cards as your, you know, for your first property, all the way to scaling up to excess of $1 billion worth of transactions and how you adapt to the market while staying focused on an asset class and you know, the, the response that you have whenever the market shifts and, and the lessons you've learned along the way. So very grateful to have you on the show. And is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you'd like to mention to the best ever listeners? No, again, I think the the biggest focus whenever you're entering an an industry, especially the real real estate industry, is find what works for you and then go out and do it a million times over. All right. Well, thank you, Nick. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe.